today, I just want to finish off what we almost left hanging last week. For the past two weeks now, I've been sharing with you on how that the scripture in Proverbs speaks about you are shameful son if you sleep in harvest. So uh, a disgraceful son sleeps in harvest so that one of the reasons why people sow and do not reap, even financially, is because of sleep. And one of the indicatives of sleep in Scripture is carnality. I shared with you that um, sleep, and I, I went through all the Scriptures. I won't do that now because I need to get into other issues. One of the Scriptures, one of the, the, the indications of sleep is one who is willfully given over to carnal fleshly desires. If that is, your, if that is the case with you, then you are asleep in the Spirit. Having sown and you anticipate harvest, you cannot access the harvest. That scripture in Proverbs says, because you're sleeping in harvest. And sleep, one of the six, I believe, expressions of sleep in the scriptures is uh, the fact that you are not willing to deal with overt, willful sin in your life. And we looked at a few examples. For example, the preeminent example is Cain, remember? So Cain gives offerings to the Lord. He and his offering is rejected. Both the man and the offering is rejected by the Lord. In, in trying to counsel Cain regarding the matter, God said to him, if you do well, you will be accepted. But sin is crouching at your door like a predatorial. The image in the Greek, in the Hebrew, is a predatorial lion or animal awaiting to pounce on you, Cain. It's crouching at your door. In other words, it's poised, it's ready, it's in a position of domination over you. God said to him, but you must master it. Do not permit it to master you. You must master. You must master it. And then, so I explain to you, going forward, now whenever we administrate financial offerings, we must do so with the offering thoroughly being depictive of the nature of God in us. If our lifestyles are separate from what we give, the image of God, which should be in us, should be reflected in what we give. And so the offering doesn't work in terms of the harvest it could generate. Because the giver's image, which should be God's image, is not reflected in what he gave. Money has a representational dynamic. It represents something. It's not just innocent. So you cannot do what you want to out there and be faithful in tithes, first fruits, offerings, and say, well, I expect a harvest. It's never disconnected from your life. Cain thought that. I could simply give. So why is God rejecting me? God says there's sin crouching at your, at your door, but you must master. You must master it. It mustn't master you. One of the, so I left that principle hanging, and I felt the leading of the Lord before we continue with some important issues relative to finance that perhaps give you one or two keys to overcome this animal, to overcome this fleshly nature that seeks to dominate that seeks to pounce upon you and ruin your life such that even your offerings are rejected by the Lord. I said to you in my series on the spiritual man, there's a series on my website called The Spiritual Man. And there I discuss seven or eight methodologies, principles by which you could employ to overcome the flesh. Okay, It's a fairly lengthy teaching, and so I don't want to go into that now. But we drew reference last week to one scripture where um, in Ephesians 4, Paul says, Make, uh, do not give place to the 
the devil. The word place there is topos in the Greek, remember? And we says it's an occasion for acting or it's a foothold. So don't deliberately give the enemy an occasion for acting in your life. Don't give place to the, the devil. There's a, a, another portion in Romans which says, Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Repeat after me. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. In the Greek, the word provision there is uh, room. You make room or you make provision. And it denotes great thought in the process. Like you planned for it. Now you can't plan and accommodate a particular situation that's going to cause you to fall in it. That's what the scripture means. No, make no provision or plan thoughtfully for the possibility of your fall in the flesh. Another portion, uh, this is all in my series. I won't go through it. I'm trying to rush through some pertinent aspects. Another portion in, in, that, in, that, in, that, in that series, Paul said this, abstain from all appearance from evil. Right? If it, repeat after me, abstain. From all appearance of evil. It doesn't say abstain from evil. Paul goes one step further. Paul says, if it just looks like evil, stay away. He says, if it smells like evil, stay away. If there's a hint that something is drastically wrong here, I need to stay away. Abstain from all appearance of, of evil. Okay? And put, on, put he on, he says, the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh. Uh, the lust of the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Okay? So you must clothe yourself. Everyone say, clothe yourself with Christ. Right? You clothe yourself with the principles of His Word, with His nature. So when these things come your way, they're not uh, a threat to your righteousness, your practical holiness. Okay? I felt today to speak about how grace can empower you to overcome sin. Grace is empowerment to overcome sin. Now, please, you've got to listen to me very carefully. I want to go to the Scriptures slowly as a means to empower you and I. I thought, uh, Lord, I, you know, there's so many other issues in my heart I really want to get into relative to finance. But let me just say this. It's pointless discussing the other issues if you're going to administrate those other issues still with, and you're still asleep in your harvest in reference to giving vent to your carnality then the principles don't work in any case, okay? So, um, remember when we did grace, and the grace series, by the way, is not complete. I will revisit it in the course of this year and add to the body of teachings that exist on the website presently. But this particular session that I will do with you now will go as part of the grace series as well as as part of the kingdom economic series. Now, please, I want you to listen intently. I said to you, Grace is, what is grace? I said to you, grace is the compositional makeup of God as a spirit being. Grace defines God as a spirit being. It's the essence of who He is. If you put water under a microscope, you'll discover two atoms of hydrogen, one of oxygen, H2O. Water has constituent elements, H2O. God too has constituent element. It is called grace. In God that quantifies spirit, is something called His, His grace. And we, we prove from various scriptures why that is true. I won't go there now. I said this to you though, that if you are the recipient of this grace, it saves you initially, not by works which you have done, but by His grace you have been saved. 
But the grace that saved you, you are meant to mature in. So Peter speaks about growing in grace. Don't just be content to be saved by it, but grow in it. In his epistles, he said, multiply grace be unto you. Paul the Apostle in Ephesians 3.2 says, Undoubtedly you have heard of the grace of God which was given to me for, for you. Okay? So the Ephesians had to connect with Paul as an apostolic leader to access the God-given grace vested in him so that they could be beneficiaries of the same. Preeminently, the grace of God comes to you through the word of God. It's called the word of his grace. You neglect the word, you become grace deficient. How is grace transmitted? What's the container of grace? The Word. What is grace? The compositional makeup of God as Spirit. How does God's Spirit come to you? Through His His Word. Grace is vested in the Word of of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word became flesh, the Word was God, the Word was with God. Remember this? And the Word, He dwelt amongst us and we beheld His glory full of what? Full of? Grace and truth. What is the word in flesh full of? Grace. So grace comes to you whenever words come to you. Okay, we we discussed all of that. Now, listen carefully. The essence of grace is the compositional makeup of God as spirit. That's grace in his essence. But once it's present, it has effects. There's grace essence and there's grace effects. Grace in essence is the nature of God. But once that grace is in you, It has certain manifestations, certain outcomes, certain effects, if you would, okay, that would benefit the recipient of the grace of God. I like what James Strong, in his definition of charis, the Greek word for grace, said. He said, grace is the divine influence on the heart. Everyone say divine influence on the heart and its reflection in the life. Say its reflection in the life. This is a notable Greek scholar. He said, grace is, yes, it's a divine influence upon your heart, but that influence must have a reflection in your life. So there's essence and there's effects seen. Now I'm suggesting to you, one of those effects of grace in you would be to cause you to overcome sin. It's God's enabling empowerment for you to, to, to live a successful life, as a son of God. Now I'm going to run through because I really believe I need to impart something to you by prayer later on. Okay, uh, uh, Gordon confirmed by his reading of the scriptures at the table of the Lord exactly what I wanted to say. Right? And you'll see how this blends in with the scriptures he read in a moment. But I want to just lay it out in terms of your understanding that if I'm the recipient of the essence of grace... I can now start to experience the effects of grace, one of which would be to cause me to to overcome the predatorial animal called the flesh that seeks to, to neutralize my capacity for harvest. When we initially did the Kingdom Economics series, do you remember I spent three or four sessions discussing one principle with you, and that principle was Grace beckons to give. Remember? If you are the recipient of the grace of God, one of the effects of grace would be you'd you'd be a giving person. No person who claims to be grace sufficient, full of grace. And you can't be full of grace and not give. The two are incompatible biblically. He who is graceful will be one of the most lavish and generous givers 
that there is, okay? And this is proven through many various script, uh, 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 um, portions of, of Scripture. I really want to encourage you. I believe one of the greatest ways you give tacit or incontestable proof that indeed you have access to grace will be by examining your giving. Okay, because grace beckons to, to give. Now, if I say to you, watch the thought, grace beckons to give, you want to give if you are the recipient of grace. Remember, I want to go through all the scriptures now. 2 Corinthians 8. I wish to make known to you the, what? The grace of God upon the churches at Macedonia. How that in deep poverty, they gave according to the ability and? So how could people give from deep poverty? But why does he open? I want to make known to you the, the grace of God. So grace's presence will cause you to give way beyond the limitations of your domestic financial position. Right? You give way beyond that. So grace beckons to give. Right? And we illustrated that quite extensively from various portions of Scripture. If I then now say to you, if you have grace and you're giving, and you're giving by grace, yes, you're sowing, but I, then I say, but you're not reaping. How can the grace by which you give to anticipate a harvest to which you don't come into because you've never permitted that same grace that prompts you to give to employ it to overcome the sin that could potentially hinder your harvest. If grace beckons you to give, you must employ the same grace to overcome Behaviors, attitudes that might hinder the harvest that grace initially was the spur for your giving to access. Do you understand? Okay. Now, let me, let me just go to the scriptures to basically illustrate the point. That grace, repeat after me, grace is God's ability. Now, listen, I'm defining not the essence. These are now effects. What is fire? Remember we did this, what is fire? To a man in sub-zero temperatures, fire is a source of heat or warmth. To a cook, a source of, of heat. To a man in darkness, what is fire? A source of light. To a gold and silversmith, what is fire? A refining element. They will all define the same thing differently based upon their need. They're not defining fire. They're defining the effects of fire based upon their perspective. Right? I say to you, what is grace? You can define it based upon your perspective. Grace, in essence, is the compositional makeup of God as spirit. But in effect, it can do different things for you based upon different circumstances, right? So repeat after me. One of the effects would be this. Say, say grace is God's ability at work in me. Say grace is God's obedience enabling ability. Come on, say it like you mean. Say, God, grace is God's obedience enabling ability. You see, you have to obey God, right? We all must obey Him. We must obey Him. But it's not left to you to obey God. There's a power that God has given you to enable you to obey Him. If which you tap into, that power will enable you to please Him. Right? Say it again. Grace is... God's obedience enabling power. So whenever God commands us to do something, He doesn't leave it entirely up to us. 
if you incline your heart to his word, he comes alongside to push the process. And I will demonstrate clearly to you such that it could be said after you have obeyed, it wasn't all you. It was God behind the scenes enabling you. He does, however, require your cooperation. It's not like you just robotically say, yeah, I am struggling with this thing in the flesh. But I've learned now from Sunday, it's your so do your work. Yeah, no, no. You can't just willy-nilly, uncooperatively. God does require your cooperation. Bump your neighbor and say, he does require your cooperation. But let me just say this. If you simply incline the heart and bend and lean towards pleasing him, something kicks in. Then there's like God gives you fuel. Oh, Jesus prayed. Take this cup of suffering away from me. But the moment he said, not my will, but the moment he inclined his heart to obey, Hebrews, I think 2 verse 8 says, he tasted death how? I think it's Hebrews 2. Eight or nine. I'm not sure where this verse is. Yeah. So that by the, the bottom here, by the grace of God, he might taste death for, how did he die? How did he taste it? How was he able to go through the cross, the painful work of the cross? What does that verse say? By, everyone say Jesus died by grace. Repeat after me. Jesus endured the cross by grace. Say with me, Jesus tasted death by grace. So watch, you see his flesh, this, this unreliable thing of us. Uh, Psalm 75, we sang a moment ago. I love that, that song we sang, right? Whom have I in heaven but you? Um, Psalm 75, it's based on. Where David actually said, he actually said the word, Lord, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's no one on the earth I desire be. Beside you, and he, David said, many times, my heart and my flesh will fail. But he quickly says, but you are the strength of my life and my portion forever. That song we sang is verbatim of the songs. If you get the revelation of it, who is the strength of your life? God is. So David said, left to myself, this thing called flesh is going to let me down Time and time again. Unless I access something called God's strength in me. And he says this, that, that's an immovable thing. Your strength in me, it will last forever. It will not fail me. Uh, this morning, I want us to be conscious of this fact. There is what, what Gordon called resurrection power. In the deadness of your flesh. That is able to resurrect you. To a life of power that pleases the Father. Okay? If you, if, you, if, you, if you just access it. Okay? 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. Okay, I'm going to go quickly to the scriptures. You must make these notes and, and, and meditate upon these scriptures. The more I've been meditating upon these things, the more it has really um, enlightened me. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made or is perfected in Weakness. Just stop there. Repeat after me. My grace. Now say my power. Say my grace. Say my power. Paul had a revelation here when God says to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made, power is perfected in 
in weakness. When, when he referred to the grace of God, he simultaneously referenced that grace as God's power. That's why I said to you, grace is, in terms of an effect, could be defined as enabling ability, an enabling power, an obedience, enabling disposition within the, the Godhead. Okay? How many times you suffered and you feel like you can't face another day? And like God says to Paul when he complained about the thorn in his flesh, he said three times I sought the Lord to take it away from me. But the answer came, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in your Weakness. I'll talk about suffering in the year so we can get an understanding of it. But the, my referencing of this verse is to purely indicate that grace is the power of the Lord. 2 Peter 1, quickly, verse 2. 2 Peter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and the Lord and Jesus Christ our Lord. Seeing that He is what? Everyone say divine power. Come on, say again, seeing that His divine power. It says, divine power has granted to us everything. Say, everything. Pertaining to life and godliness. So what you need to live a godly life, overcoming sin, and what you need for success in life generally. He first says, what does he, how does He open? Grace to you. He says, watch the flow of thought here. Go back one verse. Verse 2, He says, Grace and peace be what? Multiplied. Tell your neighbor, multiplied grace. Right? So, multiplied grace. And then immediately in the next verse, he talks about in verse 3, seeing that his divine power. Say power. So, it's not just power, it's divine power. It's a power unique to God. As granted to you everything that you will ever need for, for life and for godliness. So grace, I conclude, in part in reference to its effects, is the divine power of God that is given to me, watch, to cause me to live godly. Now please remind your neighbor, you must live a godly life. What I'm suggesting to you, it's not entirely left to you, if you know there's a grace to do this, there's an ability for you to help you. It's not left to you. I always say, I said this last week and it reminded me, Whatever God expects of you, He empowers you for, to ease, expectation and empowerment. Whatever He expects, He empowers you for. In fact, in any expectation of God is vested the empowerment of God. When God voices an expectation, vested in that is the empowerment. I will demonstrate this principle to you in a moment. So it's not left entirely up to you. Another verse, I'm just going to quickly run this before we pray. Hebrews 12 verse 28 says the following. Hebrews 12 28. Therefore seeing that we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let's go to the King James, New King James. Let us have, this is gratitude, which is translated grace in some versions. Um, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we might, ex we might serve God how? Now, question, question. Look at the verse. Come on, church, look at the verse. How are you going to live acceptably? How are you going to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear? What's the key? What, must, what, must, what, what do you need? You must have? Say you need grace to serve God acceptably with godly fear and reverence. 
In other words, when I read verses like this, it is virtually impossible to live an acceptable life pleasing God without His grace. Left, that's why I love God. His expectations are not burdensome. In fact, there are two verses in the Bible that says the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. Put something heaven you to bear that you cannot make it. You say, God, here's a command. That's why, listen to me, brethren. Whenever you feel there's a command of God that you find difficult to obey, whether it's tithes, first fruits, offerings, forgiving your brother, fellowship of the saints, uh, attending a specific meeting, going the extra mile, whatever it might be, obeying some difficult commandment, whatever he expects, he empowers you. Whatever he expects, he empowers you. Say it, to, say it with me. Whatever he expects... He empowers you for. So the expectation of God is the empowerment of God. God just doesn't say, do it and leave you. God says, do it. And the moment God sees a willingness, God says, wow, I now step in. And I will, I will empower you for the same. 